There we go. Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. It's different than what's in your bulletin. Uh, I changed my mind, so, you know, that's on me. Um, but uh, we're going to wrap up, I think, last week's message uh, from, uh, uh, well, we were all over the place last week, but we're going to look at Philippians 1, 3 through 11 this morning. So what comes after a vote? I'm going to, some of y'all who have been in churches for a long time think I just pulled out a robe. Nope, I didn't. Pulled out an apron. Now this is not an advertisement necessarily for City Market Barbecue in Luling, Texas. But if you happen to be on your way to San Antonio, stop in Luling at City Market Barbecue. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Now, there's a reason I'm doing this. Uh, it's an object lesson. This is my apron when I cook at the house if I don't want to get stuff spattered on me, and I usually spatter stuff on me. As pastor, I am a servant leader. That's what the Bible calls me. Uh, that, that's what my role is. So this morning, both for you and for me, I am going to wear this apron the entire message so that we both understand what my role is in leading this church, a servant leader. And anytime we need to understand pastoral role, or let's be honest, anytime we need to understand anything about the church, we look to the Bible. This morning we're looking to uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, particularly the way that he opened his letter. Uh, but we're basing this on where we are right now. What comes after a vote? Few things uh, come after uh, a vote. Uh, I don't think that back projector got turned on this morning because I can't. Uh, I'm just going to have to trust that everything behind me is is what I'm saying here. Uh, once we've learned that was our message last week, right? What we learned from a vote. Well, once we've learned, what's next? What do we do after that? Well, first of all, we move forward. Uh, that's all we can do. Uh, we begin to, we go from here, and we continue to move forward. Uh, there's a part of it that's realizing that this, for many of us, probably for all of us, this, this frustrating trial is a growth opportunity for our church and each individual. Uh, if, if, we, if we gloss over it, if we move on from it without examining it, without seeing what God has to tell us through it, then I think we've missed a, a tremendous opportunity to grow as a church and as individual Christians. Uh, where we have been hurt, where we feel we've been misunderstood, all the way around, we heal. We have to heal from this. We are a family. We are a family of believers in a local church, so we must heal from this if we have been hurt, if we have been misunderstood, and I'm uh, confident some of us have been. So we heal from that. We, we press into God even more deeply because that's our hope. Y'all, your hope is not in me. My hope is not in you. That, 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 that's not the way this works. Our hope, our collective hope, is in God through Jesus Christ. That's where we place it. So the future of the church is his. The future of us as individuals is his. So we press into him even more deeply. And then finally, we look to Scripture even if it's when we need to express some deeply personal feelings. 
And this morning, I'm going to express those things to you. But I'm going to go to Scripture to find both the basis for what I say and the encouragement for what I say, and that's what we find in Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Read that with me. Paul writes to the church, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. It's no coincidence that uh, I chose this passage. This is a pastoral prayer for a church that Paul dearly loved. Paul is praying for this church that he is now separated from, but dearly loves the people and the mission of the church. I chose this verse on purpose because I love this church. We're going to talk about that some more, but let me get that out of the way now. I love the people of this church. And so whatever I do is based on love for the church and the mission of God. And that's what we see Paul talking about here. As a matter of fact, he's going to have what I think are four reactions that should follow what we've experienced in the last few weeks. And he's going to talk about those very things. It's going to be first a reminder of our purpose in verses 3 through 5, a reminder of our confidence in verse 6, a reminder of our love in verses 7 through 8, and a reminder of our need in verses 9 through 11. All of this in Paul's opening prayer for this church that he loved with all of his heart. First, a reminder of our purpose, verses 3 through 5. Paul tells them, we go back and read it, I give thanks to you, my God, for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This partnership in the gospel, that is our purpose. That's every church's purpose. That is why we exist as Christians, to glorify God and to share the gospel. And that's it. And we best glorify God when we share the gospel. Interesting, though, Paul says all of you four times in this opening prayer. Four times he specifically says all of you. Why does he do that? Well, if we go to verse 2 of chapter 4, we see that in the church in Philippi, there is division brewing. Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, there's, there's something going on between these two people, two leaders in the church, and it is threatening the unity of the church. And Paul knows it's coming. And Paul writes this letter, opens up with prayer for them, knowing that this, this is happening. So he is telling them, I love all of you those who are on one side and those who are on the other, if the division has gotten that strong at this point. I love all of you. His love is not hampered by any disagreement that may be had in the church. 
Paul loves them individually and collectively, regardless of disagreements, regardless of difference in vision. Now, he will go on, not as strongly in the letter to the Philippians as he does in, say, the letter to the church in Corinth or some others, and more especially in the letter to the church in Galatia, he will go on to make some pretty strong pastoral leadership statements. But he always does it couched in love. But what also doesn't change by the, the disagreement, uh, uh, this growing division between Euodia and Syntyche, is that the purpose, or is the purpose, the purpose of the church has not changed. Paul tells them right off the bat, you know what, I love all of you, and here's why. Because our partnership in the gospel has not changed. There's no difference last week versus this week, a month ago versus now, three years ago versus now in the mission of the church. The mission is to share the gospel. Paul says, that is our purpose. He has not changed. God has not changed that purpose. See, he was thankful for and he prayed for every one of them. Paul knew the importance of every one of them. It was Paul's joy to remember them. It was Paul's joy to pray for them. It was Paul's joy to serve them and to serve alongside of them. Let me echo Paul's prayer here. It is my joy to serve alongside of you. It is my joy to stand and deliver God's word to you Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday. This is what I am called to do. J.R. asked us this morning in Sunday school, what is the one task you look forward to tomorrow? And I think maybe he even just meant daily, what is the task you look forward to every day? You know what my task is that I look forward to? Preparing messages. That's the one thing I look forward to every week. Getting in God's word, what does God have for me to tell to my brothers and sisters in Christ this Sunday. That's what I look forward to every week. I have numerous other responsibilities, but the opportunity to stand and proclaim God's word is what I look forward to most. And I do that with joy to stand up here and be able to be a servant leader. But their, their purpose in Philippi, their purpose in Galatia, their purpose in Corinth, the purpose, uh, the purpose in Thessalonica, the purpose to every church Paul ever wrote to and every church that ever existed is to spread the gospel. And nothing can be allowed to distract from that. Satan wants nothing more than to distract us from our purpose. And he'll use good things to distract us. Satan does not care. He will use good, legitimate wonderful things to distract us from the purpose and he will use bad evil things to distract us as well he is not discriminatory toward what he uses in order to distract us from the gospel he wins if we're distracted period and so we must not be distracted even in the face of growing division paul is telling the church at philippi that the mission must reign supreme we have one purpose and if we disagree with each other, you with me, me with you, others with others, that is minimal, insignificant even, compared to what the mission of the church is, and that is to reach lost souls for Jesus. The percentage in sulfur is something like 5% born again of our population. If I do quick math, if I even just make it easy on myself and say 10%, 
because that's just easier numbers. And I think that's being generous. We're talking about, what, 2,700 people in sulfur that are born again. That means 23,300. Is that right? If our population is 27,000. 23,300 people are lost and go into hell. If a nuclear bomb went off right in the middle of sulfur right now, 23,300 people would die and go to hell. That's our mission. That is our purpose. That's what we should be about. And how, you know, disagreements over how we need to talk about those things. Town hall meeting tonight so we can do that. But we can never, ever lose focus of that mission. No distractions from that. Second thing we see in Paul's prayer for this church in Philippi is a reminder of our confidence in verse 6. He says, I am sure that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Our salvation will be completed. Our hope, as I said a few minutes ago, our hope is not in each other. Our confidence is not in each other. My salvation doesn't depend on y'all. Your salvation does not depend on me. But if we go back to the purpose, there are plenty of people in this town whose salvation does depend on both of us. And therefore, we need to be confident in our salvation. We need to understand that growth personally as a church, love personally as a church, mission personally and as a church, even division, discussions, and disagreements, those things can be used by God to complete us, to grow us in our sanctification, is the, the biblical word that's used. God is still working on each of us. I am not perfect. I didn't hear nearly as many amens as I expected on that, but uh, that's okay. Amen. Thank you, honey. Um, I am not perfect. Neither are y'all. I mean, I'm just going to throw that out there. None of us are. God is working on all of us. God is molding us. God is making us. God is breaking us down and building us up again. The clay I talked about weeks ago, sometimes it gets a lump, it gets messed up, and he's got to press us down, start over, rework us. That's what he's doing to us as a church, to us as individuals. Regardless of a, of a, a position on, on an issue, I mean, we, we're talking about a vote here, but y'all, have you had a conversation with family members about the election? I mean, it, it's dangerous territory to discuss right now. But if we are Christians, if we are growing in Christ, then we are brothers and sisters that even if we're going to vote for one versus the other, God is still working on us. God is still sanctifying us. God is still molding us. And let me say this, as God works on us, as God continues to mold us, no church member is incidental or expendable to the mission that God has placed on us. None of us. No one here. There's nobody in here that I sit and think, we could just get rid of that person. Because if I do, I'm wrong. That is sinful. God is molding and making each one of us and using 
planning to use each one of us to fulfill his mission. And if, if some of us are further along than others, well, that's just kind of the way of it, isn't it? I, I should, as someone who's been a Christian for 31, 32 years, be a little further along spiritually than somebody who's been a Christian for five years or a year. Some of you who have been Christians for 60 years, 70 years, should be further along than me who has only been a Christian for 32 years. We're going to be diff at different levels, different uh, areas in our life spiritually, but God uses all of us. Whether you've been a Christian for 70 years or 7 minutes, God is still working on you and sanctifying you, and therefore we are a vital part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians talks about that most succinctly of any passage, uh, any letter that Paul wrote, and he tells them, you know, there's one or two you need to put out for a time. Let Satan have him so that he can be brought back in, not thrown away, discarded, and done with, but be disciplined and brought back into the fellowship, become a vital part of the body again. Never do we just see them throwing people by the side and saying, well, they're not useful to the cause anymore. They're no good. We're done with them. God is working on all of us, and God's continual work on each one of us must inform our relationships. I must look at every one of you and say, God is working on that person. And this, whatever this is at the time, because let's be honest, folks, a couple of hundred people, a couple of hundred different opinions, if it weren't this right now, it'd be something else later that we're not going to always agree on. I need, no matter what, to look at you and say, God is working on you. I know this. And maybe we have a difference of just opinion. Maybe we have a spiritual difference. Maybe I'm behind and you're further ahead and I need to clear some things up personally in order to get where you are. Whatever the case, we must approach each other saying, God's still working on you and God's still working on me. Therefore, we need to work together on this. That's what Paul is telling people when he reminds us that our confidence is in Jesus, not in each other. Thirdly, it's a reminder, Paul gives a reminder of our love. Verses 7 and 8, It is right for me to think this way about all of you, there's that all of you phrase again, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The affection of Jesus. Let that phrase inform you. Marinate in that for just a second. The affection of Jesus. Far too often, my gut response in, in life in general is not the affection of Jesus. It's defense or anger or something else, but not the affection of Jesus. Paul says, have the affection of Jesus. He goes on to tell them, we are partners with the same mission, gospel partners with the same mission. Again, going back to that first statement, what is our purpose? Paul reiterates, this is what we are doing. This is, this is why we are doing it. And if we are gospel partners with the same mission, then it should be our love for each other that is the first thing that people see. Jesus told his disciples, they will know you are Christians by your church membership. 
They will know you are Christians by your political values. They will know you are Christians by who your friends are. They will know you're, you are Christians by the position you take in a church vote. No. You will know, they will know you are Christians by your love, one for another. And Paul says, our love for each other should be there. Paul is making clear, church, I love you. I love all of you. Yodia side, Syntyche side, doesn't matter. I love all of you. And he says, I miss all of you. That's, that's how some of our translations translate that phrase there in, uh, in verse 8. I miss all of you. But the translation, some of you may actually have it translated, long for you. Well, in fact, what he is saying here is, is neither of those two things, like, boy, I sure do miss you, I hate not seeing you. What he is saying is, I have concern for you. I have concern, I am concerned that you remain true to the purpose. You hear the pastoral heart? I love you. In this coming division, in the argument that you have that Epaphroditus has told me is, is beginning to start there in your church. I, I understand that, but I want you to know I love you, and I'm concerned that even in the midst of this, you remain true to the purpose to which you are called as a church. Let me just tell you, church, that is my heart. I, am, am, I have been told I'm a blunt person. Now, I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, I tend to soft pedal. Um, but even in my bluntness, y'all, even in me standing here and saying some hard and maybe even harsh things, just as if I were disciplining my children, and no, I didn't just call y'all children. Don't go, oh, Michael called us children. No, even as I discipline them, even as God disciplines me, and no, I didn't just call myself God either. Hold on. Even as I am disciplined, even as I discipline, as I stand here and say hard and harsh things, my goal, my purpose, my pastoral heart is I love you and I cannot let us lose sight of the mission. Ever. Whatever comes up. If we lose sight of the mission, regardless of the discussion we're having at the time, we have lost and Satan has won. We may both be on good sides. And, and you know... Those things can all be discussed individually. But it does not matter if we are divided and not fulfilling the mission, then Satan has won, and the gospel, as we present it, has lost. Therefore, we must be, as Paul is, concerned about our love for each other. As I said earlier, as well, that... Uh, no church member is incidental or expendable. I don't want to see any person leave our church. We are all parts of the body. Every one of us. Every person, every Christian, every believer is a part of the body, a valuable part of the body. When one leaves, the church suffers. It doesn't matter who that person is. If that person is a believer, he or she is a part of the body and a vital part. My, and, and my love for this church must lead me to desire unity in it. 
That is what I want. I do want unity in this church. I don't want anyone to leave. I don't want anyone to, to go, well, I just don't like him. I'm gone. I don't want any of that. But I will not sacrifice God's word and the mission for unity either. So when the time comes, if the time comes down the road, when, when things, another discussion comes up, I will always stand on the Bible. I will always be the pastor who says, y'all, this is what God's word says. That is what I will always say. Now, will I try my very best to look at each one of you and myself in love as one who is being molded by Christ continually? Yes. Will I also say, look, this is not a sinful position one side or the other. If, if, if there's not a sinful position one side or the other, then absolutely I will approach it that way. But we will always have things where you won't agree with me and I won't agree with you. The question is, how will we handle it? Our love for the church must lead us to unity. It can't just be on my part. That is my role. That is what I'm here for, to lead in unity. But it has to be all of us. And see, we, we see clearly here in verse 8 that Paul's affection is born of both responsibility and relationship. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus Paul's affection is born of responsibility, uh, rather, born of relationship and responsibility. Let me say right now that I understand that currently most of y'all still don't know me from Adam. You don't. I, some of you, the most contact you've had with me is right here, this position, 20, 30, 50 feet away as I preach for 30 to 40 minutes, and that's it. I understand that. Relationship is key to leading a, a church pastorally or as uh, other leaders in the church, whether you are, I don't want to say lay leaders, we're, we're all leaders, that's, that's the thing, we're all called to be ministers, but regardless of your position, uh, relationship is a key. I don't have that right now. I understand that. That's something we've got to work on, but my affection, though not born of relationship for many, uh, with many of you, is born of responsibility to this church. I love this church because God called me to it. Not because I love this person and that person and this other person and therefore, well, I just love all of them because I have to. No, I love this church and the people in it because this is where God, pers uh, God put me. Our affection and in particular, I'm talking about this direction, has to grow more in relationship. Uh, people that, or uh, I want you to understand, rather, I'm not an ogre. And I guarantee you, if you talk to anybody who has actually come and talked to me personally, they'll tell you, I'm not an ogre. Sitting down and, and talking with people, I'm, I want you, I need to hear what you're thinking, what you're feeling, how God is leading you, how God is molding you, how God is shaping you, how God is continuing to transform you in Christ. I need to hear that. You need to hear that from me. We need to talk about it. Our relationship needs work. Because I've been here 10 weeks. 
You know, that's, that's just the, the nature of it. But, but we cannot wait on relationship and ignore the responsibility between now and then. Because regardless of, of the length of time, regardless of what's going on, we have a responsibility to love each other. We have a responsibility to serve together. We have a responsibility to each other and to God to make this relationship work. And that's one of my goals that maybe I haven't accomplished quite yet. And the fourth thing Paul tells us in his, uh, in his prayer for the church here, verses 9 through 11, he says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Fourth reminder is the reminder of our need. The phrase he uses that we need to focus on, I believe, is filled with the fruit of righteousness. We are filled with the fruit of the righteousness, the, the acts, the the, the very presence of God because of the righteousness that is imputed on upon us when we believe, when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Verse 9, love is mentioned. Love here is a behavior, not affection. It's a verb, not an adjective. It is something that is done, not something that is felt. Love is action. Love informs, love directs every response that we have to each other. I have to work on that too. Paul's ultimate desire here, and he states it clearly now in verses 9 and 11 through 11, after telling them how much he loved them, telling them how much he, he longed for them, how much he was concerned for them, that his desire ultimately is the spiritual growth of this church. That is Paul's desire. Brothers and sisters, that is my desire for First Baptist Sulphur. I'm not always going to be right. I'm going to be dead wrong sometimes. Maybe more times than not. But know that even when I am wrong, my desire, my motive, I pray always that my motive was the spiritual growth of this church. The day, the day, that does not happen. The day that my motive is anything about me or something else other than the growth of this church, the growth of the kingdom, is the day y'all need to go to the deacons and the personnel committee and try to get the 66% that's necessary to fire a minister. The day that my motive is anything but the kingdom of God, get rid of me. You have my blessing. But I tell you that with everything in me, I will fight that motive that says anything but the kingdom within me. And it's there. Okay? I'm human. Just like y'all are. The motive is there somewhere. Well, I want to be right because I want to be right. I want to do this because it's my idea. But I'm telling you that I pray daily that my motive is God's motive. And I pray daily that your motive is God's motive. If we do that, even when we disagree, even when one of us is hearing incorrectly from God, or maybe he is intentionally leading us in two different directions so that we have to work things out, 
so that we have to come together, so that we have to compromise. I don't understand the ways of God. I don't know how he works all the time, so it's possible he's doing that. His goal is always the unity of the church. His goal is always the purpose. Paul says things that are superior. He uses that phrase. He prays uh, so that you can approve the things that are superior. God does not want us focused on things that don't matter. Wall colors, the number of committees that we have, what the preacher wears on Sunday morning. You know, things that don't matter, even if he wears an apron for a barbecue joint in Texas. But some things do matter. And Paul is telling his church, the things that matter are the things you need to focus on, like reaching the lost, like love within our church community, love to those outside of our church community. Those are the things that matter. We can discuss the other things, and we can say, well, I like, and I don't like, and you like, and I, you don't like, and we can have those conversations. But if those conversations take the place of what matters, again, Satan has won, and we are no longer reaching our community. And Paul's prayer ultimately is that the church be on mission and be in purpose. Then he says, I want you to be pure and blameless. Purity, that's in regard to God. I want you to be pure as it, as it regards your relationship with God. I want you to be blameless in regards to others. There's a very vertical and a very horizontal relationship that he says there. But you notice the purity with God comes first. If we are pure with God, then our relationships can be blameless. But when we have an issue here, we're always going to have an issue there. We can't fix this one and not fix that one. It doesn't work. So as God molds us, as Christ continually grows us, we work on that vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships improve because we see Jesus working on each other. We approach each other with forgiveness and grace and mercy because we know they're in the same boat I am. You are in the same boat I am. We are both works in, process, in progress being sanctified. And all the topics Paul is going to cover in the book of Philippians, in the letter uh, of Philippians, uh, will be to that end. Pure and blameless church members loving each other in unity, focused on the one mission of sharing the gospel. That's Paul's heart. Look, that's my heart. These things come through active faith, Paul's tell, Paul tells us as he winds down the letter. We must, eat, must each be constantly working out our salvation, Paul says, growing in our faith. It's a daily thing. If this time on Sunday morning is your only time to work out your salvation, to grow in your faith, you're not working out your salvation and you're not growing in faith. It just doesn't work out that way. It comes through active faith, and he says it is all for God's glory there at the very end of verse 11. We must each remember that this church is not for us, it's not about us, but it's for God and about God and to his glory. If we get any of the glory for what this church does, then it was worthless. If God does not get the glory, it was worthless. But if God gets the glory, then everything we do is good. Everything we do is purposeful. If we always keep his glory in mind, then we will do what we're called to do. And God is most glorified 
when the lost come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the glory God wants. The jewels in his crown are lost souls saved. That is the glory God wants. And then he wants his people to worship him. Yeah, I got that. But as John Piper said, there are no worshipers because the gospel hasn't been shared. If the issue is God doesn't have enough people worshiping him, it's because they have not been told the gospel so they can worship him. So we are a missionary people set out to glorify God by our missionary focus. And that's what we need to do. So this morning, I hope, I pray that this is a healing message. Because that is my purpose. That is the point today. That's why I changed the message from what I planned to do. Because we need to understand, we have one purpose, y'all. I love you. I love this church. I love the individuals of this church. People will ask me sometimes, they'll, they'll say, okay, things a little bumpy, right? Yeah. So, what do you think? said, I love it here. This is where God called me to be. This is what God called me to do. I can do nothing else. I've tried other things. I've taught school. Uh, I love you, teachers, that you can do that day in, day out, year in, year out. That is awesome because it was just not for me. I've delivered pizzas. I've worked in factories. I've done roofing. I've cut grass. I've done a lot of jobs over my 30 years of being old enough to, to, to do any sort of labor. Y'all, this is what I'm called to do. I have no, I, don't, I have no doubts. This is where I'm called to do it. You are the people that I am called to serve. You are the people I'm called to lead. But all of you, every individual, regardless of your opinion of me, regardless of your opinion of what I do, regardless of your opinion of my decisions, every one of you is someone I am called to love, serve, and lead. And I intend to do that. And hopefully, as we progress, as the relationship grows, not just the responsibility, but the relationship grows, we can have the kind of love for each other that Paul talks about here. That is a goal. It's not the only goal. Because remember, the goal is the mission. This is one way we can achieve that goal, and I pray that we would do that. God is most glorified, what did I say? When the lost come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, this morning we need to understand there's a first need. It's beyond our love for each other, beyond moving past any division, correcting any division, healing any division, beyond all of that, there's a need that is much greater, and that is the lost of our community. And maybe this morning, somebody within the sound of my voice has not been, become a believer in Jesus Christ. They've heard the stories, they, they, they know about him, but they have never placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. They, Jesus isn't working on them because he's, they've never been his. This morning, I want you to know how you can become his. Be, become part of this messy community, family, how many of you all get along with all of your family members? And I'm talking about your blood relation family members. You get along with all of them all the time, never an argument, never a crossword. Well, and chances are your blood relatives don't equal 230 people. 
And yet, here we are as a family of 230 plus. We're not always going to get along, but we will always be family through the blood of Jesus. That'll never change. Therefore, we want to invite others into this messy, fun, sometimes, family. How do you become a part of that family? How do you become a part of a, a family that loves you even though we have a disagreement? We trust Jesus Christ. We admit that we are sinner for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We admit that we need a Savior, that we can't save ourselves. We're not in this alone. We're not strong enough. We're not big enough. We're not good enough. We need a Savior. And the wages of those sin, that, that sin, because we're all sinners, the wages of that sin is, is death. We will pay a penalty. We owe a, 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 a debt, a due. Uh, we are owed a wage, and that wage is death for our sinfulness. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a way out. We're not, we're not bound by sin. It's not the end. Sin is not the end. Hell is not the end. Hell's the end if you get there. But hell is not guaranteed, not inevitable, if you respond to the message of Jesus. God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, no matter where you are, no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, God loves you and has provided a Savior for you. It does not matter what you have done. He died for us, Jesus did, while we were still sinners. Everyone, any of you, does not matter who you are this morning. If you call in the name of Jesus, you will be saved. I make that promise to you. I won't promise anything about me. I won't promise anything about anyone else in here. But I will promise that... Okay, maybe I will promise some things about y'all. I will promise that Jesus will save you if you cry out to him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, it's this easy, y'all. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Our mission, see the lost come to know Jesus as Savior. So our mission begins right here this morning, right now, the next two minutes, three minutes, as Donald comes to lead us in an invitation, a song of response. Maybe you need to pray something. Maybe you need to ask Jesus to save you. It's, it's just something you've not done. You've been putting it off. Don't put it off. You're not guaranteed anything. Maybe you need to pray about other things. I don't know. But let me pray for you this morning as you make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Maybe just to follow him more closely. Pray with me. God, I thank you, Lord, that you, that you're the king. Not me, not, not anyone else, not None of us. Jesus, this is your church. Lord, let, let us, please, let us see it as such. This is your church. These are your people. This is not my church. These are not my people. It's yours. Lord, may we be a church focused completely on you. Maybe we, may we be a family of love, family of unity, a family that has disagreements, a family that has discussions, but God, ultimately, we see ourselves as a family each individual a vital part of what you want to do in this community through First Baptist Church of Sulphur. I pray, Lord, that that is our heart. 
Lord, I pray that my heart is to love. I pray that everyone's heart here is to love, that the people around us know First Baptist Sulphur by our love for each other. And when they see that love, they wonder why. Why do they love each other? Because I know that preacher can get up there and be pretty harsh sometimes. And I know so-and-so is this, and this other person is that. How can they love each other? It's only by Jesus. Lord, may that be our testimony in our community. May that be our testimony to everyone. We love each other because Christ first loved us. May that be our message and our mission, and may we never lose sight of it. And this morning, if someone needs to trust you as Savior, I pray that they will come and do that. Someone needs to follow you. Lord, they've heard the message of the gospel, but they've just never really, it's never clicked. Lord, may it click this morning. Lord, as other decisions need to be made, may you lead and guide. God, I pray that this altar is filled with people praying, crying out to you, knowing you are our only hope, you are our, our, our only source of strength. And God, only you can use us it is only by your strength that we can fulfill the mission of taking the gospel to sulfur in the world. May we rest in you. May we find healing in you. And may we find renewed passion for our mission in you, Lord Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we stand, as we sing, if you have some decision to make that you'd like to pray with me about, come do it. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. That would be an excellent use of this time as well. But as we sing, my prayer is that you will do business with God this morning.